from field to table and flame to fork. The pursuit of the outdoor connection is ingrained deep within one's spirit. The draw to the flame of the campfire is felt from around the world. Why do we hunt? Pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. All right, welcome everybody to episode four of the Campfire Conversations. This is uh, this is a great one, and we're rolling in quick with these episodes. Um, this one is with Tana Bohm, uh, who is the first, I guess we'll call her celebrity from our iHunt series. So I, I really enjoyed uh, this episode and getting to know her a little bit. Yeah, you know, I, I've known Tana for quite a few years. She's actually... Uh living in the town where I live uh, and was, and is still very close friends with my stepdaughter. So she had, as she reminded me during the podcast, she'd actually called me up to ask about how to get in hunting. I'd completely forgotten about that until she reminded me. Um, but she, she's somebody that when we started developing our I hunt film series came to mind immediately because the, the objective of that series is to, to show people that don't hunt the, you know, the, the different types of people that do hunt and try to break down those mm. stereotypes that people might have. And, and I thought, well, Tana breaks those stereotypes down extremely well. Absolutely. She does. And the, the idea behind the, the I hunt series, as JP said, is to, to show people that hunters are not as different as they may think. Uh, it's, it's about smashing down stereotypes and breaking down those doors and those perceived barriers that, uh, are, are out there to becoming a hunter. And when you reached out to Tana, she was all over it because her being a, neat, a new hunter that lives in Vancouver fits exactly uh, the mold we were kind to go for. And that is to blow those molds apart, right? It's uh, when you, you, you see an article or there's, there's a meme made generally, uh, a hunter is is a white guy wearing a ball cap and plaid in a in a big truck and tana is completely opposite of that and this that's why the i hunt series is so important and when we started storyboarding these podcasts we we knew that it'd be important to get some of our i hunt guests on here to to have a good chat with them to find out why they they agreed to be part of the iHunt series. And this, this was a great conversation. We went just over an hour before we even realized it. So it was a great conversation and got to know her a little bit more. Absolutely. I, I could have kept talking and I'm sure she could have as well. It was just a really good conversation, really flowed. Um, and one of the things about this podcast, I think that that might have some benefit is, is that Tana did go into some detail uh, uh, regarding her journey to, you know, to become a hunter, right? She started, she's from a non-hunting family, you know, big city girl living in Vancouver. And, you know, how does somebody in that situation start hunting? And and she went into those details of how that process occurred for her. So for anybody that's, you know, might be listening to this podcast that has some interest in maybe, uh, you know, joining the hunting community, becoming a hunter, uh, I think, I think there's some information here that could be useful. Oh, totally agree. Uh, she gets into her journey, uh, who she is as a person, where she came from, and where she'd like to go with her hunting. Uh, we'll call it a career. Uh, 
and her her connection to the landscape and everyone everyone that's a hunter has a connection to the landscape that's a little bit different than the person they're talking to and three of us at that uh, this virtual table the virtual campfire had a great chat about hunting stories and our motivations for doing it and that's what that's what this this whole campfire conversation series is about right it's about everybody's individual connection and the connection we all share so yeah as jp said there's there's some great information in this cast and if if you know anybody that wants to get into hunting or has questions about it send us an email at info at one campfire.com we'd we'd love to chat uh if you'd like to be a guest on this series send us an email we'd love to chat so with that uh this is episode four of the campfire conversations enjoy the listen Across Canada and throughout the world, if you come across a campfire in the woods, on a mountaintop, or next to a river, you'll find warm company and friendly people gathered around. Regardless of your lifestyle or place you call home, we invite you to learn more about what it means to be a hunter in the modern era. If you love the outdoors, care about where your food comes from, and are concerned for the future of wildlife and the environments that they need to survive, pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. Yeah, we have a great guest today, Tana Baum. Uh, some people might recognize the name. She was our very first iHunt uh, film star. Uh, One Campfire has a, a film series called iHunt where we try to showcase a variety of different individuals to break down some of the stereotypes people might have about hunters. And yeah, Tana was our very first one. So welcome, Tana. Thank you. And of course, Steve is with me here, my co-host. And uh, yeah, I think we're going to have a great conversation today, Steve. So how are things on your end, Steve? Uh, it's been it's been five degrees for the last couple of days up here. It's weird. We had minus 40 not two weeks ago and damn near three feet of snow. And oh, yeah. last couple of days, it's melting quite heavily. And it yeah, it, it's weird. It's, it's looking outside now. And yeah, my, my sheds were covered. Now they're, there's bare spots on the roof and... Yeah, yeah, it's good times. It's warm here too. We uh, we had a fairly cold last few weeks, and just just tons of snow here. And and yesterday it started raining, so now we're at the time, mm-hmm. and some some roof roofs I think are going to start to collapse because it's getting so heavy. But uh, it's absolutely miserable. I I really would prefer it if it would stay below zero in this part of the world over the winter because it just gets so. It's so confusing. messy and hard to drive and yeah it's just yeah. brutal mm-hmm. yeah you, had, you sent that video was it last week when you had that big snow dump where you, you pretty much jump and you landed oh, face yeah. down you just dis- disappeared for a few seconds like holy <laughs> oh it was so light and fluffy and I, and I tried to reproduce that steve but by then the snow had settled too much that it, it had completely lost that effect so i couldn't get you that video we had we ah. did try though We'll, we'll use that one that we got. Yeah. That's cool. Just to show uh, yeah. that adults can play in the snow as that, well, right? That's right. Yeah, it was fun. I'm so glad right. that you just mentioned that because I had to make a snowman last week. Um, we, we had like a bizarre dump of snow in Vancouver and I found like some pristine snow in an alleyway behind my house and just straight up like, <laughs> I was like, this is what I'm doing. I've never made a snowman as an adult by myself. And I just nice. made a fantastic snowman. It was so much fun. And he melted within 24 hours. <laughs> what area? Of, you're in Vancouver, right? I am. I'm in East Van. And uh, oh. yeah. What, what area roughly? We don't want people stalking you, but roughly. Hastings Sunrise. So oh, wow. Okay. Nanaimo, uh, Nanaimo Hastings. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I grew up at uh, in East Vancouver, like right at about 49th and Boundary. Oh, great. So, yeah, I moved here to PG about 15 years ago, so I know exactly where you are. Oh, you're in PG. I didn't realize for some I am. reason. Great. Yeah. Cool. I've never Yeah, I been. remember the big... It's it's cold, usually, but uh, <laughs> yeah. not, not recently, as I said. I, I remember, uh, what was it, 96, they, we had that great big snow dump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somewhere in there, and it was it was huge, and it uh, basically screwed the city up for a couple of days, and then then it was gone. Then yeah. it was gone. So yeah, yeah, cool. Interesting. People still talk about that '96 snow dump here in the Kootenays too. It was apparently a big year. This is before my time here, but uh, apparently whole herds of elk and mule deer were wiped off the map. The snow was so deep they just they just starved. They couldn't move, and. Uh, yeah, apparently mule deer numbers in the East Kootenays never really recovered. They, you know, they've recovered somewhat, but never to their pre nineteen ninety six levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had that up here. Uh, whitetail are generally pretty, pretty uh, affected by that because they, they, they generally like to fe- feed in the agriculture areas up here, and they they just couldn't paw through the snow. And when they had the big dump of snow, then they had the freeze thaw, freeze thaw you had the the big layers of ice that they couldn't get through and same sort of thing, right? Yeah. And just so much energy moving around, you know, if you're chest deep in snow all day and trying to feed, and you know, it's, it's a tough life for those animals. So Tana, um, let's chat. So what's really interesting about you is, is basically your, your story of how you became a hunter. So to sort of preface all this, can you just tell us a bit about yourself you know, who you are, where you're from, where you are now. I mean, we covered that a little bit, but, uh, you know, what you do, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I guess I'll start, I'll start at the beginning. Um, so I, I was, I'm born in Vancouver, but my mom very quickly moved me up to the Kootenays to Caslow when I was like four years old, because, um, you know, the city is not a great place for, learning about the natural world. And that was a big focus for my mom. So she moved me up to Caslow and that's where I grew up and I spent some time living in Nelson. And so I've always just been a total hippie nature child. Um, and then somehow after finishing my university and, you know, realizing what, what kind of career I wanted, I, I found myself back in Vancouver, you know, maybe a 30 minute drive from where I was first born. So kind of came full circle, but, uh, yeah. So I'm working here now in Vancouver, um, as a, my, my position is as a childcare counselor for the government of BC, but, uh, yeah, I work with teenagers in like the mental health capacity. Uh, so what was your degree in Tana? So the degree is uh, child and youth care, and that's through, I did that through UVic, so I lived in Victoria for four years, Um, and essentially it's just working with kids and their families in the mental health capacity, you know, supporting kids who are having, who are neurodivergent, who have different things going on for them in their homes and in their heads, and you know, I work with a lot of kids with trauma, of course. Um, I work with a lot of indigenous kids. Um, yeah. So, and when I say kids, I mean, my, my age range is 12 to 17. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Well, that's definitely important work and I'm sure there's no, you know, no shortage of people to be, you know, assisted with this work you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's full on. I mean, we don't, there's a lot of, I don't know how to say this. I have to be careful, but um, there's a lot of uh, bureaucracy in. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. There's a lot of bureaucracy involved in my work. And uh, so we don't get to, we don't reach as many kids as I wish we did say if I worked in a nonprofit or if I worked in something that was community based, I think that my level of burnout would be way higher and I would be helping a lot more kids. Um, whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. I, I, I think I have the cushiest child and youth care worker job in the province. Um, but, uh, yeah, can be frustrating sometimes. Uh, but amazing when we do get to help a kid, of course, it's, mm-hmm. it's all worth it for those, those moments. And when you see a kid succeeding. Yeah. So, so what led you down, uh, that, that path to, to want to be a youth care worker? That deep, deep, dark path. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so I grew up, like I said, in the Kootenays, but I'm an only child and I grew up in a single parent family and, um, just statistically already that's you know, not setting someone up for the most success. Um, So yeah, there was, there was some issues growing up with, you know, relationally between my mom and I, we were having a really hard time. Um, I developed some mental health issues as quite a young child, like varying degrees of depression, anxiety. Um, And then living in a really small town, there really wasn't resources for someone like me. so, you know, it was a it was a big struggle through my teen years to try to find just to try to feel supported, to try to understand what was going on with me, to not internalize it so much and to start to understand that like I was a product of the the family and the system within which I I came from. Um I also my my I'm first generation uh, like my mom's from Germany and my family has a big history in terms of what happened to us during the war. So there's all that as well. That all affects you. So I was, I was what you would say a high risk youth and, uh, with, with not a lot of supports. And so I struggled for a long time until probably my early twenties. And I had a lot of support from some family members and friends along the way and some employers along the way. And, and I, and I made it, you know, like I cleared all of it, nothing too terrible happened. Um, I am a well-rounded adult now, I would say, I, I hope. Um, and I just, it just made sense to me. I didn't really have any other skills. I was like, Oh, well, what do I know? And I was like, well, I know how to suffer. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll help other kids who are, you know, going through that, all that crap. And it, it turns out that it, it was the right move. You know, I, I have a lot to, a lot of experience and wisdom to draw on when I help the kids that I work with. That's awesome. Yeah. So definitely a relatable, uh, something that you could, could almost essentially chase back to, to childhood yes. that you're kind of destined to go there and, uh, could have taken growing up in East Van, same as me, could have taken a left or a right path and yes. uh, decided to go to the one to, to, to help, which is pretty awesome. Admirable. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a good choice. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's excellent, Tana. So, okay. So here you are, you're a, a youth worker living in Vancouver. 
and you know you're not from a family that hunts although you were outdoorsy uh so you didn't really have any hunting mentors growing up i assume so how does somebody in your situation um get into the hunting world like what what Mm -hmm. triggered you to even pursue this to begin with well that's a good word actually what like initially kind of catalyzed the journey was i was totally just being a couch potato and just watching meat eater like straight up i was just like oh my god this is so cool i want to do what this guy does this looks like so much fun there i mean there's a much bigger story behind all of it all but but that was the moment where i was like huh i want to be a hunter um but i've had this itch since i was a kid this this thing that i've always wanted to do and it's this I've always wanted to be self-sufficient and it really started when I was quite young, um, you know, begging my mom to let me walk like six blocks up the hill with one of those little hobo sacks with like snacks in it. And I just wanted to like go eat my lunch in the forest and then come back down and just show her that I was okay. And, um, you know, I'd climb the tree in the yard and then I'd be yelling for my mom, Hey, Hey, come and bring me snacks. Like, you know, and we'd have this little levy system set up where she'd put snacks in a basket and pull them. I She'd pull the rope and then the snacks would go up the tree and I'd like have my snacks up in the tree. It was, it's just always been this thing for me. I've always been really obsessed with <laughs> being somewhere that's not entirely comfortable and making it work by myself. And so <laughs> I don't know. I think that just translated through and through and then something when I was watching Meat Eater kind of clicked, but that that's one part of it. I mean, the other part of it is that I, uh, I am an obsessed animal lover. I, I, I feel like crying, just like looking at most animals. I love them so much. They're so pure and amazing. I'm obsessed with my wiener dog. His name is Benny. Um, I just like, yeah, I can't even express enough how much I love animals. And, uh, but I also, I, I like eating meat. I like cooking meat and, um, that wasn't really working for me. That sort of like, there was some kind of contradiction happening there for me. So, um, yeah, I guess when the idea of hunting kind of fit in my head finally for the first time, I realized that, whoa, this is like my solution to this this quandary that I have this, I love animals, but I also want to eat them. But you know, I, I hate, I truly, truly hate the conditions within which these animals are living and the damage it's doing to the earth and all of this stuff. So, um, it's just a match made in heaven. So it just kind of went from there. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really interesting, Tane. And I, I, I think a lot of people probably feel that way. I know I do. We mm-hmm. in our house eat mostly wild game when I'm fortunate enough to harvest something. And when we don't, we try to find, you know, free range ethical meat sources, but we eat a lot of meat in our family. Just, it, it suits us and makes us feel good to this part of our diet. But I think yeah. a lot of people do go down that path where they start to have that sort of cognitive dissonance. They like to eat meat and, mm-hmm. but they also think animals have some worth beyond just, whatever their value is in a spreadsheet, you know, animals have a value beyond that and the industrial, and I don't want to come down on farmers because I don't think that's 
you know, what we should do. But mm-hmm. the industrial model of, of meat production does lack that ethic, I think, that a lot of hunters desire to have with their, their meat consumption. And so, yeah, I, I think that's probably very relatable to a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. I, I know yeah. uh, some, sometimes when I'm walking through getting groceries, like we're the same. We've, we've got a freezer full of moose and deer and bear. And occasionally we'll buy chicken or, or fish if I don't get some gifted to me by my, my friends that uh, are living on the West Coast and they come back with a couple extra and like, hey, Thanks. yeah, sure, I'll take some of that. But I, I know walking through the meat department, I, I see packages upon packages upon packages. And there, as you said, there's that, that distancing. People, they, they forget that at one point, each package up there could realistically have been one animal. So you could have a hundred different animals up there. And I know I could look at my freezer and go, there's one moose, there's one deer, and there's one bear in there. So I've... I've killed three animals to feed my family for well over a year. And it's comes back to that, that circle, as you said, Tana, right back in childhood, walking down the street with a a little hobo bag. I, I I grew up across the street from central park. So we used to do that. We'd, we'd grab our little stick and totally one of my favorite movies of all time is stand by me Okay, because it's, it's relatable of these, these young kids that are all essentially going on a journey from boys to men in a two hour, two hours. Right. And I remember many, many times walking across the street, walking through the trails there and just sitting back and not even realizing what I was doing was connecting with the forest in an urban environment and then we'd go over to the pond there and fish catfish all day and people would argue and say there's no fish in here there's no fish in here (laughs) yeah just wait a couple of minutes yeah there is and just catch and release all day and just literally from from dawn to dusk and back then it was come come home when you're hungry come home when the street lights are on yeah and we didn't have to come home when we were hungry because we would would take our little backpacks and we'd learn to to eat the blueberries and the the little red huckleberries that are all over the place there. And that's a big part of why I do what I do now is I'm out there and I'm doing the same thing as an adult, right? I've just got a different backpack and I now carry a bucket and I know a little bit more about berries, right? I'm not just going, Oh, that looks good and trying it and realizing quickly that I shouldn't have done that. But it's, it's that the journey that started in childhood and it's about connecting and there's so much more to a hunter than there is uh, at face value. And that's uh, when we started this I hunt series and JP mentioned that he had a perfect candidate and was like, Oh boy. Yes, this is a great one. And uh, yeah, that's totally enjoying this chat so far and we're yeah. only 20 minutes into it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's, this is awesome for me. It's yeah. great that you but mentioned you, you- Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jonathan. So, so I was going to say, you know, you guys talking about your youth experiences, it, you know, it makes me think a lot of mine. I'm not going to go into them all, but I think the beauty of being young, like a kid and wandering out of the forest is that you're not fettered by reality exactly at that stage, right? Like everything is still possible at that age. And it's so exciting to be out in nature when you're a kid. Um, there's just, you know, I remember, I'll just relate one story that sort of touches upon this. I grew up on a farm in, in Northern Alberta 
And I remember I was probably like five years old driving to town on this gravel road. There was a field to the north of us and then forest beyond that. And I had assumed that that field was the end of civilization and that forest went on forever. Basically, right? <laughs> yeah. And when I found out there was a forest or a field on the other side of that, that strip of trees too, it was crushing to me. You know, I remember it really was. I thought, oh, I thought this was the end of the civilized world. And it turns out it's, it's not, and it, you know, and it's funny, even as a little kid, that didn't feel right. Yeah. Um, anyway, I just, thought, I just remember that. It was kind of interesting. <laughs> but when you're a kid, yeah, anything's possible, right? Oh, yeah, that's so funny. It's it's great. I mean, your perception, because, you know, we have these places that we visit from when we're children to, you know, we're young adults, and then we get older, and we visit these places over and over again. And our perception, every time we see it, we go, Oh, my God, is, has that been there this whole time? Or, you know, was that always that big? Or like, I could have sworn there was a tree there or something. And just the way it, it fits in your heart is changing the whole time. But the one mm -hmm. thing that stays the exact same is that childhood, that like bubbling up joy, the like, ooh, I'm so excited. Like I'm gonna find some mushrooms or there's some blueberries right. or, you know, or this looks like a little fairy house or something silly like that. That's the one thing that's just been the same for me the whole time. I don't know if that's the same for yeah. you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. It's like, oh, yeah. I grew up, like I said, uh, roughly the Champlain Heights area. And I probably about seven, eight years ago, took my wife to where, because she grew up in Kamloops, took my wife and kid down there and said, this is where I grew up and I lived over here. And it's all grown up now. Like there's there's uh, houses and condos and all that. And I remember saying, okay, well, down here, there used to be a trail where we'd catch snakes and this used to be bush. And yeah. it was never, a, I remember this building. It was, I remember when this was bush. And I remember this is where I stepped on the thorns and this is where I used to jump my bike and yeah. catch frogs in here. And there were turtles over here. Yeah. And those are the connections that, uh, as adults, I'm still chasing. Yeah. Same. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Well that, you know, that's great. It, it's, it's really always, uh, you know, quite interesting to hear how people develop interests in the outdoors and, and hunting specifically. So, now you're at the stage, Tana, or you were, you know, a couple of years ago where you, you realized, okay, I want to get into hunting, um, you know, but you're living in Vancouver, you don't have any hunting mentors. What was your first step? Like, what, what did you do first to begin that journey? Ooh, that's a good question. Has it been two years? Well, I, I guess it well, has been. Probably close. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's been okay. over a year since you did the eye hunt. Wow. Okay. Crazy. Um, damn, I need to get better at hunting. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let me think here for a minute. I, I can't remember quite how, oh, I think I reached out to you, Jonathan. I think that was like one of the first things I did. Actually, I think I was talking to Holly about oh, it. Oh yeah. We, we talked on the phone, I guess, didn't we? Uh, yeah, we made, yeah, we talked on the phone. I think we texted a okay. bunch and I was like, I, I, I don't know I'd what to do. I'd completely forgotten about that. Yeah. yeah. So I reached out. I'm pretty sure that was one of my first things I did. Cause I, I remember I went online and I was really inundated with information. I was like, what is a pal? What is a core? What do I need first? How can I get one without the other? Like, ugh. and I, I didn't yet know about eat wild, um, which is an amazing organization in Vancouver that does all the training that you need to get started in hunting. Um, 
so yeah, Jonathan, I think I reached out to you and I think you kind of broke things down for me a bit. I could be imagining this, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. And then from that point, I booked with Eat Wild. Um, and I chose Eat Wild because the the guy, uh, Dylan um, Ayers, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Uh, he um, He's friends with some friends of mine and I, he just came highly recommended. Um, and then I never looked back. You know, I did my pal and then my core or one or the other. And then, um, I've been doing like webinars with them. So just sitting in on learning about, you know, how to choose an area to, you know, hunt deer or, you know, if you get a bear, like, how do you, uh, how do you like field dress a bear? Just things like this. And so I, so I took my courses, did a bit of learning, um, amassed some gear, I bought my rifle, my first rifle ever. Um, and then, uh, and then my best friend also, he was like, well, if you're getting into hunting, he was like, he already had his, he already had a 22 and he had his pal and everything. And he's like, well, I'll go for my core and I'll get everything as well. And so then I had a hunting buddy, which is a game changer, especially when it's like, he's a guy with a truck and I'm, you know, a little woman with a Toyota Yaris. So I could finally, you know, go off into the woods with somebody who I trust and we can formulate these plans. And we started learning how to hunt together. Um, yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's interesting. So just for listeners who may not be familiar in, in British Columbia for, in order to, uh, qualify to purchase a hunting license you have to uh pass the uh, uh the core test or exam and there's usually a course associated with that although i believe you can challenge it without taking the course yeah. um but anyway so it's it's a uh, uh an exam that basically makes sure there's sort of a minimum level of competency i suppose in exposure to the information to hunt in the province and for people that might be listening outside of british columbia most north american jurisdictions at least have something equivalent to that some type of hunter's training so when we mm -hmm. talk about core we're basically talking about a hunter's training course and yes, pal yeah. And, yeah and sorry for and, and pal is a is a is a firearms license required in canada in order to to um purchase and and uh, and own and possess a, a firearm yeah, CORE stands for Conservation Outdoor Recreation Education Program. And yeah, as JP says, it's uh, the first step to getting your hunting license. You have to pass this training course in order to apply to get your hunting license. Yeah. yeah. And this is interesting for me because I mean, I took my I, I took my hunter's training in Alberta when I was 14 and I'm almost 50 now. So, you know, it, it's uh, it's really nice having someone like Tane on here because my my information is is so dated. Um so we can, you know, definitely glean stuff from some of these newer hunters entering the, you mm -hmm. know, the, the hunting uh, world in British Columbia. Yeah. I, so, I was, so, I was like really amazed at the core or like the core course. I just, I couldn't, I, I, like from what I expected to what it actually ended up being, the amount of knowledge mm -hmm. and the, 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 I guess, breadth of information that it, that it contained was just fantastic. I mean, even if you're not serious about becoming a hunter, I think, I think anyone should take the course. It's incredible with what you learn, uh, you know, just about the ethics of hunting, even it's, it's invaluable. Oh, totally. It's uh, a, a lot 
of of info. I was I was surprised, especially the birds. Like I, I didn't. Oh, that was a tough I, I knew there's a couple types of deer, and but when we got into the birds and like how do you say gallicanaceous birds or whatever, it was like what gallinaceous? What is, what is yeah, that's the word. Yeah, it's see, new newer hunter. It's great. That's the ones with the. Do you remember? Oh no, I don't. I don't. I don't. I hated don't, that section. They, <laughs> I'm so bad have, at birds. Don't they have feathers on their feet or something, or no feathers on their feet? It's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all need to refresh our core. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Eat Wild, the organization that you use to open the door for you and assist you in, in your journey to become a hunter, you would, you'd recommend eat wild to people living, uh, especially in the lower mainland, I suppose, then to, to help them. Yeah. I literally can't say <laughs> I literally, but like, no, actually I cannot, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I got to cut that out of my vocab. I cannot say enough good things about eat wild. Um, okay. Yeah. Dylan's good. Dylan is amazing. Um, there is like, almost equal representation for women and men in the community with regards to the courses that they're putting on the people that are attending their classes. Um, it's, you know, there's always something that you can be taking, uh, like always a course you can be doing through them. There's, there's workshops you can be doing through them. Everything is pretty reasonably priced for what you're getting. They are friendly. Like you have some guys coming in doing some of the courses who are, you know, older than you, Jonathan, which is like, you know, that's pretty old. <laughs> they're up there. They've got years of hunting experience, but they are so kind. They're so patient with you. They're funny. They're they're You know, you can talk to them afterwards. And uh, I guess like what Dylan has really tried to do is build a community around this and really made it appealing for people who don't fit the, you know, the hunter stereotype to get into mm -hmm. it. And that's exactly what he's succeeded in doing. So I 100% recommend anyone living in the lower mainland, just look up Eat Wild on the internet and take some of their courses, take your pal through them, take your core through them, do everything. They're wonderful. And you're supporting a wonderful person and a wonderful organization. That's awesome. But we, we do know women are the fastest growing demographic in, in the hunting world. And you actually noticed that in your course that you, you said it was like a 50, 50 split or something. It, I mean, less, less than that, but, uh, okay. but I was shocked at the representation of women in that That's course, awesome. which is saying something, uh, my expectations are low. Um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. There was, I don't know, 40, 60, maybe. Oh, wow. That high. That's and, pretty, and, that's pretty and awesome. It, uh, of course it varies for the course, you know, if you're taking right. a, if you're taking a foraging workshop, which I haven't yet, I imagine that that would be a higher representation of women. Right. Um, the pal, you know, I, it was more men, but, but still you, I mean, we're there. Like it's, and awesome. you felt included and not, uh, like the whole hunting environment has been very inclusive for you and not exclusionary, like not the, uh, the, I don't even know how to say it. The old boys club that you hear. Old boys club. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think <laughs> some of the old, old boys club, I'm doing air quotes for those who can't see me right now. Um, they have been some of the most excited to see younger women awesome. getting into it. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's those curmudgeon old, like the, you know, type out there who maybe aren't as welcoming, but I really haven't encountered them yet. 
And Good. overall, as a whole, um, I feel like a celebrity in the hunting community because people are so excited to know that I've been getting into hunting. The men that I meet who are hunting are totally into just having conversations about it. And um, I've been treated no differently, you know, I mean, I've, I've, how am I going to say this? I have been treated differently in the most positive way possible. I mean, I've been welcomed with open arms. People have made, you know, extra effort to make sure that I'm comfortable. You know, if we're, you know, if we're out hunting and we run into another group, usually it's a group of guys. It's just like being one of the boys, but now, you know, we're just mixed and it's, it's nothing, you know, no one's ever pointed out, Oh, you're a girl getting into hunting. (laughs) Yeah. Years ago, that used to be an issue. Yeah. Right? Uh, but I, I'm I'm loving every new hunter uh, that I'm talking to. That's a, that's a woman is saying the same thing. That uh, it's very very welcoming and it's inclusive, and that's that's exactly what we need. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly what we need mm-hmm. to to recruit more people into it and to to make them feel welcome and included. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and I think that I mean that uh, you know that that's important too because the future of hunting depends on young, uh, non-traditional type people getting into the lifestyle. Uh, you know, if you go to a lot of, uh, hunting type, uh, events, you'll see a lot of gray hair. You know, there's a lot of older people. Um, and the number of people behind them hasn't really matched that that demographic so like i know down in the states there's some concern because their funding model relies on almost primarily on hunters that the number of hunters is starting to decline right so i think in bc we have the same issues where although our hunter numbers are starting to creep back up uh as hunters i think at least hunters who have thought about it much realize that the only way that we're going to have representation and and actually which which would not just for hunting, but for wildlife is to have a strong hunting community. And uh, so I think it's exciting to a lot of us, including myself, to see a young person, especially somebody who doesn't come from a hunting background, somebody you wouldn't expect to get into it, yeah. actually embrace it and, and want to learn about it. And uh, no, I, th- I think, I think for a lot of people that, it, you know, it's, it's extremely encouraging to see somebody like you get into the activity in the, in the lifestyle. And I don't want to say sport. That's uh, when people say hunting is a sport. <laughs> mm-hmm. Somehow that doesn't seem right. It to me, no. for no. most people to get into hunting, it's not a sport. It's it becomes, you know, lifestyle might be the wrong word too. I'm not really sure, but it, it becomes just a part of you in, in a way that it's hard to explain to somebody who doesn't do it. I know for myself, um, many, if not most, of my life decisions that I've made as an adult have had hunting as part of the decision-making process, like where I live, what I do, you know, that sort of thing. I, you know, I I needed to live somewhere where I was close to wild spaces and it, it, it couldn't have been any other way for me. And I think there's not many pursuits that somebody has that will actually form the, the trajectory of their life like hunting can for a lot of people. Yeah. And that, that's exactly why I, I moved to, to PG, right? I, like I said, I grew up in Vancouver and lived there till about 15 years ago. And just watching the, the urban sprawl take away these little places that I talked about earlier, uh, these little trails and uh, trees that once stood were are now uh, condos and doesn't even 
doesn't even look like the same place it was 20 years ago, even when I go back to visit. It's just crazy, crazy, crazy. And, and moved to PG, and I am literally two blocks from city limits. I can look out, like I look out my, my office window right now, and I see 100-foot spruce trees, and I'm still in city limits, and I'm on a half acre. Awesome. Did, did, didn't you I, post a picture of a moose in, from your house or something? Was that you? Exactly. Yeah, what? exactly. There's 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 moose in my yard all the time. I'm coming and up. They coming uh, for a visit. <laughs> they come on up. I've uh, yeah, we we got we had a couple years ago. We've got like uh, barn doors to go through our, our carport into our backyard. Uh, just one night, about eight o'clock at night, I heard a bang, 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 and what the heck is that? It's not that windy out. And I look out, middle of winter, and I look out uh, the on off the deck through the kitchen window. And I see a moose standing on the, the road. I'm like, what? And it's staring into the yard. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? So I open up the front door into the carport. And it's a good thing I didn't throw the door open because the calf came flying out of our yard through the carport. And it was it was stuck in the backyard. It had come looking for food and almost knocked me over. And mama was staring at me. So yeah, we're we're close to wildlife here. And it's, it's amazing. There is... Yeah. There's just so many wild spaces up here, and uh, I'm actually heading out on Saturday to to go for a drive. Like we call it a hunt, but we it's all about the conversation, and very very rarely do we even look at our rifles, right? It's about chasing that connection, and uh, yeah, I, I love it up here. And same thing, I moved up here just to be closer to the wild spaces. Oh, sounds amazing. Well, we have um, we have rats. Great. It's amazing. They're everywhere. You have raccoons, too. Yeah, yeah, black bears. And skunks. And skunks. Haven't seen a black bear in the city. I guess maybe not that part of the city, yeah. Nope. (laughs) So, Tana, uh, okay, so now you're at the point where, you you know, you've passed your core, you have your pal, you own a firearm, and you're going to go hunting. So, this is a pretty big thing when you think about it. You're actually walking over the landscape with a rifle in your hand with the intent of shooting an animal. What was that like? Like that feeling, like when you're finally out, okay, I'm a hunter now. Like, do you remember that first experience and, and what that felt like to you? Yeah. Uh, well, okay. I'm trying to remember my first, I'm trying to remember my first actual like morning of hunting after I got my rifle. Cause I know the first hunting trip I did after I bought my, I, I have a 243. Um, I went up to just at that like outside of maybe 45 minutes outside of Merritt with my buddy and we were hunting for mule deer, but that wasn't my first experience hunting. We actually, before I bought my rifle, we went up just around, um, where were we? We were around Headley and we just went grouse hunting. We camped for three days and just drove up a forest service road and just went grouse hunting. And that was actually my first and only kill harvest. That's the only time I've gotten an animal was my first and only grouse. I'm way overdue. And you'll remember that forever. <laughs> I'll remember that forever, but hopefully there yeah. are other memories that start to overshadow that one. Oh, you will. <laughs> well, I think my, my first uh, uh, harvest ever as, as a licensed hunter was uh, was a grouse. And I could, Great. to this day, still drive you to the spot that I got it because it was 20 some odd years ago right down the road I live on before I moved up to PG. My, I had a family up here and we went for a hunt one morning and it was, oh, there's, 
there's a grouse. Do you want to take it? Wow. Yes, I do. I remember it to this day. <gasps> what kind of grouse? So it'll it? stick with you. What what bird? It was a it was a ruffed. Oh, you lucky! I so mine was a spruce. You got a spruce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the piney tasting ones. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I doused I, it in like blackberry habanero hot sauce, and yes. it just it was great. I mean, like it was it it could have tasted like I don't even know like cardboard, and I still would have been so happy. That's right. That's right. You'll remember it yeah. forever. Yeah, I guarantee you. Yeah. Yeah, usually we we pass on spruce grouse for the most part. We usually don't shoot them just because they're they're challenging to make. Uh, Tastes good. <laughs> you know, particularly delicious. I'm sure somebody has a recipe that makes them better, but you know, rough grouse are are excellent, and blue grouse, the other species we commonly hunt. Yeah. Uh, although the blue grouse have not been divided into two species, I believe, sooty and duskies, but um, yeah, they're they're phenomenal. Like they're you you could just you know fry them and eat them with salt oh. and just just excellent you know don't need anything else to try one so yeah well if if you come back i know you do come to the kootenays frequently because you have your family connection here i'd be happy to take you out again and and uh what you really need to be uh chasing is is and i know you have already is black bears that is one thing there is no shortage of yeah yeah because you you kind of entered hunting at a difficult time because our ungulate populations in in many areas of the province particularly deer populations are way way down like, you know, like in the Kootenays here, um, you know, like we have a cabin a couple hours north where we live. And, you know, seven, eight years ago in the evening, if you drove from my place up to my cabin, you'd probably see 30, 40 deer. Um, now you, if you see one, that's amazing. Uh, we just, the, the population has just crashed and it's it's been quite slow to recover. And having a winter like we have now is certainly not going to help. So, you know, I think in, in your position, yeah. it, it's, it's you know, either travel more, head north, or look to other species. I mean, there's we've got lots of turkeys, lots of black bears, yeah. uh, lots of grouse, things like that. Yeah, so we've, we've, uh, we have a really great black bear spot that we love, me and, me and my hunting partner, Matt, um, that we've had some really, I mean, what I would consider to be close calls, um, where, like, we've come very close to a bear. It's, it's smelt us. It's hurt us. It's, it's taken off. We're not too confident to take the shot, but, uh, but we've seen bears there consistently. We've done two, two trips there so far. So I'm really excited for the spring. I'm feeling like it's going to be, it's probably going to work out. Um, the yeah, deer hunting is a whole other freaking ball game. I, to, to touch on like, what you had asked me earlier, the the experience of finally having my rifle and like going out hunting, overwhelming imposter syndrome, overwhelming. I'm like, okay, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. I've got some courses under my belt. I know I can shoot well, but like, where are the deer? Like, where am I going? What am I looking for? It's just ridiculous. When you, when you're going out with someone else who also knows absolutely bupkis about hunting and the two of you are just I mean you have a morning where you go out and you're like you you know when you first kind of hit your spot and you're walking around and you feel that ex- excitement you're like oh my god I could walk around the corner and there could be a deer there but then you know four hours goes by and you're like oh my god what the hell was I thinking and then you know you get back to camp later and and then you just put your heads together and you're like okay like what do we know what do we what is our knowledge? What are we missing? What can we do better the next day? So pretty much progressed from like overwhelming imposter syndrome to 
underwhelming imposter syndrome. <laughs> and I still have imposter syndrome. I still feel like, what the hell am I doing? With regards to deer hunting, with bear hunting, I feel like a pro. So <laughs> it's a pretty um, contradictory experience. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, you'll, you'll continue to learn each time you go out. It's like, all right, they're going to be here. And then you look and you're like, they're not here. What the hell? I, I thought I knew them by now. Oh, yeah, it's, God, it's it's always learning. It's which nuts. Is great. Yeah. It's always challenging. It's nuts. And it's I, crazy. I it's called, with elk hunting. That's why it's I called hunting, right? <laughs> Absolutely. It's not oh, killing, yeah. it's hunting. Like with, with elk hunting, it took me a long time to learn how to hunt elk. Yeah. And, you know, I, we had some really successful years for a while. And uh, you sort of think, okay, well, I've got a tool belt filled with these elk hunting tools, I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm going to kill an elk every year. Somebody in my group is. And, and uh, yeah, you realize that there's, there's way more to know than you know. And what you thought you know or thought you knew can, can sometimes be meaningless in certain situations, right? So, you know, as Steve was just saying, I mean, hunting is one of those, those occupations that affords lifelong learning if you're into it because I, I feel like I've been hunting a long time and I've hunted a lot of different species and I still feel like I know almost nothing. You know, there's just, it's a secret world that you just get glimpses of and mm -hmm. you, you sort of learn to put the pieces together and you have some success, but it, it takes a lot to, to get to the point where you just feel, and this maybe sounds a bit metaphysical here, but it takes a long time to get to the point where you just sort of feel when something's going to work and you're in the right mm -hmm. spot. You know, and, and that's not something that happens right away. It takes, it takes years, right? Oh, yeah. And even as good as you think you are, those animals always have the upper hand on us. Always. Okay. They, they're, well, they're the ones that know that landscape. No, it, well, every, every, species, we every species we hunt in North America has been pursued by human beings for, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, right? Yeah. This is very natural for them to be hunted mm -hmm. by us. It's not a it's not a new experience for them at all. Um, the seasonality of hunting for them is, I mean, that was never a thing. But mm -hmm. now we have you know uh, regulated you know, defined seasons, seasons right? Yeah. But the uh, the the they're good at what they do, which is surviving, and and that's how come they still exist. You know, and I think that's always important to keep in mind. It's, it's I, people that don't hunt, I think have this, this, well, some might have this sense that you just go out and it's a shooting gallery. And I've heard that that's right. people say that to me before. And it's like, well, you've never hunted. You have no clue what you're talking about. Cause <laughs> totally. yeah. they, they, the animals win far more often than we do when it comes to this. Endeavor. Oh, oh yeah. Tag soup is one of my favorite things to make, right? It's yeah. just, but the. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you just said that. I've never heard that before. I'm I'm taking that. Oh, now. <laughs> it's like it's. I I can't tell you how many times I've been out though looking for 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 bears an example and go and seen thirty or forty in a day, and never even looked at my rifle because it's it's not always about the kill. It's about getting out and reconnecting and uh, learning. It, I, I like to think every time I'm out, I learn more about myself yeah. and about the uh, the environment and the habitat and notice something different each time. I could have driven a road a hundred times, but uh, on the way back one time, it'll be like, oh, I never noticed that was there before. How did I not notice it? So you, yeah. you're just, you're looking deep within yourself, right? And as you said, JP, it's 
hunting is, is highly regulated, right? We have seasons, we have bag limits. You have to have a course, uh, you have to buy tags for 99% of stuff, uh, grouse, you don't need tags and stuff like that. But, uh, you, you need a license to, to, uh, own and purchase a firearm. So it's, it's not just a free for all. And I, I hope, uh, some of our listeners that don't know about hunting can, can, uh, glean that from this episode. And it's, there, there's so much more to the, to the kill, right? It's, it's not just going out and it's not a shooting gallery. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and I think the other, the other aspect, and we'll get back to Tana's story here in a sec is, is the fact that if you look at, you know, various jurisdictions throughout North America, between 60% and 90% of all of the money that goes into the management of wildlife comes from hunting. And so, you know, it's important that hunting persist for wildlife's sake. There, you will not find more passionate advocates for wildlife in a meaningful way than the hunting community of people that hunt. I mean, of course, it's not everybody who hunts, but the, the greatest conservationists and the greatest conservation organizations in North America, at least, and I think other parts of the world too, but definitely in North America are, are hunting-based organizations. The, you know, that, that passion and, and love for animals and wildlife, like Tana talked about her, her love of animals. I mean, I feel the same way. I, uh, you know, I, I, I've devoted a big chunk of my life to, the, to wildlife, you know, and it's not, it's not so that I can go and shoot something. I mean, I, I'm a Ducks Unlimited member. I donate to Ducks Unlimited. I'm not a duck hunter. I don't hunt ducks. But I love ducks. I love waterfowl. I love wetlands. They're, they do something for my soul in a selfish way. I mean, I find if I'm near a wetland, there's some something there that's very mm -hmm. correct. It's something right about it. Yeah. And it's the, you know these are diverse ecosystems with, with so much life. And maybe that's what it is. You can just feel that. And so for yeah. me, it's important just as, as a person to do what, what little I can to make sure that those those ecosystems, those environments, and those animals can continue to live. And I think mm -hmm. that is often missed by the non-hunting community when they think about hunters is, is, is uh, by and large, hunters are a group of people that care passionately about wildlife and, you know, also understand wildlife in a way that, that you will not know unless you hunt. Um, mm -hmm. And, and, and I think Tane is, discover that or is it the process of discovering that like the way you view things the way you view the land around you through a hunter's lens changes everything and yeah. and the priority that you put on wildlife not just huntable species but all wildlife just it skyrockets for i mean and of course there's exceptions there's there's bad people out there there's bad people that hunt yeah. but you won't meet very many of them you know most most hunters are, are good people and they care and they're out there for the right reasons and hunters are not perfect people. We're not, we're not, we're no different than any other demographic of human being. There's a wide spectrum of personality types and, and, uh, and motivations. Yeah. Um, yeah. so you, you can't, you can't, you can't put the onus of, of humanity higher for a hunter than a non-hunter. But I think in general, people will, you know, will find that most hunters are really decent people and, and the motivations of, as to why they hunt and yeah. the impact they have on the environment is all really positive. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox now. I, I, but but I, I think that is something that's important to say. Great. Totally agree. I am a life member of three different uh, sheep organizations, and I've never hunted sheep. No way. Right. I'm, right. A, I'm, a, mem I'm a member of uh, the Goat Alliance. Never hunted a goat. 
I'm a member, like I'm a life member of uh, a sheep organization that in a state that doesn't even hold sheep. <laughs> why do they have, why do they have a chapter there? Because these guys care passionately about wildlife. Yeah. Right. And if you were to put uh, a hunter and a non-hunter in a room, we're, as we say in I hunt, we're not so different. I, I guarantee you, we could agree on 99% of things. We want sustainability. We want pristine habitat. We want animals on the landscape in perpetuity. We love animals. We love clean food. We love clean air. We love clean water. The only difference is what we do with that animal, mm-hmm. right? That's the only difference. And if we could just, I, I, I've said it many times before, that too many people listen to respond versus listening to understand, right? You, lots of people will just listen to somebody with an intent of rebutting them instead of listening to find that commonality. And if we could get some, some people in a room like that, I, I think we'd come to an understanding and uh, that that's all we want as hunters, right? You, you don't have to support what we're doing. I'd just like you to to listen to something that's not uh, designed to to draw that hate wall, right? And we we know what we're talking about when we just when we get into that conversation, but that's a whole other podcast. So yeah, yeah, that, that's maybe a podcast we should have is 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 the effect of, of the social media and the and this modern age in, in generating division amongst different groups, including the the hunting and non hunting yeah, community. The, yeah. That's actually a big issue. It really is. We're, we're seeing it all over. We're seeing uh, uh, concentrated movements designed to draw emotion in a negative way without having conversations like this, right? And that's why I think it's so important for the I Hunt series and uh, conversations like this to destroy those stereotypes, yeah. right? And it's, that, that's a question I have for you as, as we're rolling up on an hour already. Uh, when JP approached you for the I hunt series yeah. and gave a little bit of a background on it, what made you say, yeah, I, I want to get behind this. I, I'd uh, love to put my name forward. Oh, I mean, I, you know, I was still just at the very, very beginning of my hunting journey, but I had already come up against um, people not understanding why I was going to be embarking on this and, making some pretty snide jokes or comments here or there. Not that I was offended, but I, I could already see that there was a level of misunderstanding that was happening. Like, <clears throat> and my thing for <laughs> my thing that I always say to people who are like, Oh my God, you hunt. Ooh. And I'm like, well, do you eat meat? Like, do you like animals? Do you eat meat? If you, if you say yes to both those things, then you should also be hunting. Come on. Um, so it's just, it was one of those things I'm like, it's a, it's a really positive message to get out. I think it's really important. The, the, the language that you're using in, in, in I hunt, which is, you know, it's inclusive. It's not us versus them. Um, you know, to, to, to parallel, cause I know you guys always say like, you know, we are not so different from non hunters to parallel that. Um, I, I talk with so many people about my work and about the stigma of mental health and, or mental illness, I should say. And, um, people living, uh, in the street, people who are street entrenched, people who live in poverty. Sorry, my computer just went to sleep. And, um, 
I, I, I see this huge separation between the person I'm talking to and, and, and the person on the street. They believe they're leaps and bounds away from being this person. They can't understand why anyone be, would be addicted to drugs. They can't understand how that can happen to a person. And I, I remind them, I'm like, you know what? You're one or two life events away from being this person. We are all so much more similar than you could possibly imagine. Um, there are just a certain factors that come into play that make your path different than this person. Um, and so, and I think that's so similar across the board. Like people see such a huge difference between them and other people, but really we are so close. We are so similar. And like, I'm, you know, so similar to someone who doesn't hunt, you know, I have that compassion for animals. I just choose to express it in a different way. I choose to honor it in a different way, you know? That's, yeah, yeah. The, you sort of answered a question there, Tane. I was going to ask you about, like, since you've started hunting, you know, obviously where you live, you're going to be coming up against people who don't understand hunting and maybe are even, you know, uh, would qualify as anti-hunters. Uh, but you found what you've done then is just, just you know, talk about the meat and, and the, you know, the sort of the relative ethical benefits of hunting versus not for, for meat eating. Is that, is that generally the, the angle that you take? I, I mean, it always depends on who I'm talking to. I, I've thankfully now, you know, in this 32nd year of life that I'm in, I, I'm a lot more regulated and I can approach these conversations with like such a level head now. So I just kind of see, I just taper it to what anyone is sort of addressing in their criticisms. And, um, yeah, I bring up the ethics of it quite probably predominantly. That's, that's the one thing I talk about the most. So have you come up against uh, resistance to, to your hunting quite a bit or are most people more just curious and, and you know, interested about it? Curious and squeamish is like, people are really squeamish about it. Um, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a, like a young female and I mean, you know, in the city, like I, I dress a, like a little bit city, I kind of look a little bit like a... I don't know, a city person, whatever that means. And then I have these conversations about hunting and I think, I think it makes some people uncomfortable and they, and they ask me, Oh my God. So do you actually like, you know, like you like shoot the animal and then afterwards you, you have to like cut it open and stuff and like blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I mean, I haven't had to do that yet, but hopefully I will soon. And I have field dressed a deer, you know, a deer that one of my friends got. So Yes. Yes. We do all of that. I would do all of that. Yes. And, um, they go, Oh wow, that's so cool. I mean, I eat meat, but like, I could never do that. And it, it, there's like a, a level of fascination, disgust, squeamishness and admiration, um, all wrapped up into one. And I, I don't know if it would be different if I was a man, um, talking about it with people. I feel like maybe there would be a little bit of a different reaction, it's tough to say. Tough to say for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I've, for the most part, I've come up on, like, I've come up not against. I've been, I've had conversations with people that are mostly just fascinated. I've had maybe one mm -hmm. or two people, you know, on social media who are vegans, like outspoken vegans, just be like, we can't, you know follow you anymore. This is against blah, blah, blah. I can't believe you would do this. And I'm just like, that's okay. That's fine. Like you do you. It's all good. 
I don't engage. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's right. I think I think that's one of the things that you know in general hunters need to do better is to, is to realizing which battles to engage in and which not to. If somebody is a, an anti-hunter for whatever reason, whether they're vegan or not, uh, that's, that's probably not a productive conversation you're ever going to have, yeah. right? Cause if somebody's already decided what you're about before you've said anything and their, and their whole identity is entrenched in what they believe about you. Um, I'm not sure what it would take to open a, a true <clears throat> dialogue, but I do think that, for the average person who's just curious and, you know, might be a little uncomfortable with it because it's mm-hmm. such a, a foreign thing for them. Those are the people I think it really does pay dividends to, to have good discussions about this sort of thing with. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because whether we yeah, like yeah. to admit it or not, whether you're a vegan, vegetarian, uh, just eat fish or, or, you know, full on carnivore, you know, you have an impact, right? I mean, if you look at the statistics around the death of vertebrates and the harvesting of crops, like over 7 billion vertebrates die in the harvesting of crops around the world. Right. Um, so, and, and plus you displace wildlife and things like that. Like we all have an impact and there's no way around that. Um, so for somebody to, to judge another based on their, you know, the, the food they like to eat, which is essentially what it boils down to, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think, I think that that's, uh, you know, maybe the, the level of self-analysis that's gone into the, that person's process before they, they get into that conversation hasn't been quite enough because, you know, if you're going to start judging somebody else, man, you better be solid. And, and I think that uh, most <laughs> yeah. people that I've encountered who, who don't agree with hunting or, or, or vociferous against it, uh, you know, it, it's, it's all honestly not well thought out. You know, they're just, they're reacting to yeah. their emotion, visceral, emotional feeling about it and, and thinking that must represent reality. Um, but yeah. yeah, I think as hunters, we do have a responsibility and that's part of the, you know, the, the one campfire campaign is to reach out to the non-hunting community and and really just tell them who we are, what we're about, why we do what we do, and and try to understand them too. I mean, that's the thing. I don't know everything. I'm probably wrong about half the things I talk about. But uh, you know, the uh, <laughs> you know yes. that, that conversation <laughs> needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've told you before, JP, a good buddy of mine. Uh, we actually reconnected on Facebook about seven, eight years ago, we went to elementary school together. So that's going back 40 some odd years. And a couple of years goes by and I, I took a bear and posted a couple of pictures and he lives in Delta and we're like same age. He's got a wife, couple of kids. And he messaged me and said, so do you eat that? And I knew this conversation was going to go one of two directions. And I said, yes, I do. And uh, he was like, oh, okay. And he was curious. And I said, well, give me your mailing address. So I put together a care package with some pepperoni and some ground and some sausage. And I, I knew he would be a little more open to it because he, he worked in restaurants his whole life as a chef. And so long story short, uh, he was up this past spring for his third bear hunt with me. He's now got his pal. He's got his core and he brought up a brand new, brand new bear hunter who, well, brand new hunter in general, who's in uh, his late forties, early fifties, who's his neighbor. So his first year up here, we, uh, we, we reconnected and just went for a, a BS session for a drive and we're talking and I was showing him bears and this is a sow and this is how, you know, and 
he learned real quick, okay, you can see by her body language, there's probably cubs around and watch a couple of minutes, the cubs pop out. And his second day up here, he took a six foot eight, a nose to tail black bear. And then uh, his last day, he took a, about a five and a half footer. So uh, filled his freezer. Wow. And uh, second, second year up here, or no, second year up here, he took a seven foot one nose to tail and took the second bear to fill up his, to top his freezer up. And the, the new hunter he brought up this year was his neighbor. And, uh, he had taken over a couple of, uh, uh, things a bear and his, this guy's wife had said, no bloody way. Don't want that in my house. <laughs> nope. Nope. Ain't happening. And then one day he took over a bowl of bear stew. And about an hour later, when uh, he returned the bowl, uh, he said, well, how do I get my hunting license? My wife loved it. So she opened, which, which, which is great, a year later, opened her mind up a little bit and went, I'll try it. So didn't get any bears this year just because it was a weird weather. Weird weather. But uh, so, yeah, two new hunters in the fold just by bridging that gap and bridging that conversation properly wow. it could have been a well, of course i yeah. eat it well, what the hell do you think i just leave it right and i could yeah. just put up a wall yeah and if you go on to our uh the one campfire website and look up uh, a city boys primal connection that's my buddy my buddy wrote that about his first experience up here awesome. so it's it's all about bridging that gap and doing it properly and listening to uh, listening to understand versus listening to respond Totally. Yeah. yeah that, that's a, that's a great story, Steve. And, you know, I think that that really does illuminate very well the need for that communication. We're, you know, we're a little over an hour here, but before we go, I just wanted to ask Tana about her hunting plans for 2022 or in a, a brand new year here. What do you, what do you got going on? Yeah, oh my gosh. I like, I don't even want to think about it. Cause once I open that, that floodgate, I'm just not going to be able to think about anything until the, this year's over. Um, I mean, my God, I, I <clears throat> nothing spectacular, nothing spectacular. I still, I have so much to learn. Um, so I think we'll probably do our bear spot again, at least two or three times this spring. It's really easy to get to surprisingly. It like, I don't know how we managed to find this little spot, but we have ocean view up the mountain where we camp. It's phenomenal and there's just bears like running around through the like we had a bear right behind the camp we it's pretty incredible so we'll be going back there um and then hopefully i can get jonathan to take me out for turkey again um whenever that season is definitely that's spring that's spring yeah that's yeah that's uh uh April april 15th to may 15th great okay so i'll go up there for that and then uh, I think we're giving up on our we, – we have a spot outside of Merritt that we were – that we love. And I say we just because I always hunt with the same person, Matt. Um, we had a spot outside of Merritt that we go for muleys, but um, it's, it's not – there's cows. And I just – there was like some cows the first time we went, but this time we did a 10-day mule hunt in, uh, I want to say, October. And there were so many goddamn cows. And I, I just, I, we had like set up our camp. We were so rooted there. And the next day we woke up and they were just everywhere and they had demolished everything. And I was like, oh my God, we should have driven up here and just walked through the woods and seen like what everything's looking like. Like, is there food for the deer? They had, they had killed everything. So 
we're not going to go back there. Also, I don't know, unfortunately, like how well Merit is doing, you know, I, I don't know. I want to be able to like put money into that, that town, but at the same time, I'm just not sure what that's going to look like. So I think in the fall, we'll probably try to go much more North. Um, we have no idea where we're going to go. We have like a really crappy old tent trailer that Matt rebuilt, um, that, uh, we we're what we call glunters, glam hunters, even though like our, our trailer has just like a plywood floor and it's cold as hell and there's holes everywhere in the canvas. But yeah, we'll try to go up north somewhere. I don't know where yet, but I'm excited to do it. I just, I would be so happy to get a, a deer this year. It would be amazing. Yeah, that's it for plans. Well, that sounds that's like it. you've got... You've got some plans. And yeah, well, if you want uh, information on, on the North, I mean, I'm sure Steve and I could at least help a little bit um <laughs> definitely uh, yeah, depends how far you want to drive right exactly oh god at this point i'll drive anywhere I'll f- anywhere <laughs> yeah oh before too many years you'll be uh you'll be doing the horseback trips and the float plane trips and all that too you just just wait you know yep it, the because what i found at least is the uh you know the hunting is important but the uh the adventure becomes such a big part of it and yes. you know, there's it, we we happen to live in a part of the world where you can have just unbelievable adventures in the wilderness that are just sort of unimaginable. You know, it's it's sort of it'll strike you. You're in these wild places. How Steve knows about this? He was on a big hunt this this year up north, and and uh, it, it's about as wild a country as exists in the world. Yeah. To 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 be able to be wandering around that country uh, is is just kind of phenomenal. Yeah, you can go two so, weeks without seeing a person. Oh, oh yeah. Easily. Amazing. Easily. And that's what we did. Like We were up there for 10 days. We got pulled out on the 13th day because of weather. The only thing we saw was uh, the the float planes going by. That was it. Wow. Nothing. It was crazy. That's incredible. That's one yeah. day, one day. I'm so into it. I, you know, the, the outdoors... <clears throat> has always been and just continues to be more so my church, you know, and I think a lot of a lot of people can relate to that. It's it's, you know, it's where you do your best thinking and your processing and you're connecting and you're feeling peace for the first time. And like what better way to have all of that but also have this cool mission that you're on, you know? It's 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 going out and, and connecting with a purpose. I, I really like, I really to this day cannot think of a better and more enjoyable um, lifestyle choice or hobby or activity or whatever it is than hunting. Like it's just, it's insane to me that something like this fun is accessible to me. And I'm so lucky that I, I, I get to do it. I just, I, I can cry. I just love it so much. Well, that's fantastic, Tana. And, and we're, as you know, speaking on behalf of the hunting community, I'm sure I can safely say that we're very happy you've you've joined the community. And uh, yeah, it's 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 really great hearing your story. And and yeah, you know, I think some of the information that you provided uh, during this podcast will hopefully help some people who who may be listening to this that are curious about hunting maybe take those first few steps into into joining the hunting community themselves. Yes. And uh, absolutely. And I, I hope that's the outcome. Yeah. I should say also, it's so easy. And I mean, you kind of touched on this idea of like baby steps in the beginning, you know, as Steve, you were saying with your, with your neighbor, I mean, 
maybe, you know, they're not going to be into getting the bear meat, but the bear stew is going to be a, you know, a little baby step towards, you know, getting to where they wanted to be or where they eventually ended up. Um, Getting into hunting is the same. I mean, if you look at it as a whole, I was very overwhelmed with it. Just, okay, like going from this to suddenly being a hunter, it's crazy. But like just to anyone who wants to get into it, you need to break it down. Just break it down into small manageable steps. It's totally doable. You could do it over time. If that's, you know, some people can't afford to do it all the way or all, all at once. That's okay. Um yeah, if, if it's something that interests you, just start taking those little steps. It's all going to benefit you in the end. It's super fun learning. You know, just do it. Just start it. Great advice. Well, it's over an hour here. Uh, we should probably wrap it up. I'm sure Tane is pretty tired of answering our questions by now. But yeah. uh, anyway... Uh, I really do appreciate you coming on, Tana. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I hope this isn't our last podcast together. Uh, you know, I think we still have many topics we could discuss. We got to bring her back on after she gets her deer this year. Oh, my God! Absolutely. Yes! That's, <laughs> let's do that. I think that would be great. So uh, let's do that. Yeah, no that'll pressure. Be, now really I have to get a deer. enjoyable discussion. Great. <laughs> yeah, you have to. We're going we're gonna to schedule it, uh, you know, for uh, oh, you know, late November. And, and, you know, we'll be dis disappointed if we can't have that podcast. Oh, me too, man. Me too. Yeah. All right. Anything else to add, Steve? No, just appreciate your time, Tana. And uh, your your videos keep on rocking it. Uh, everybody seems to love them. I'm so, so. glad. All right. You guys All right. have a good Talk day. Talk soon.